Take your Bibles. Turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 11. Lord willing, we will endeavor to wrap up the thoughts from this passage of Scripture. That is our intentions to get through verse 16 today. So without delay, let us look at verses 11 and 12, the verses that we've come to and are now before us. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman. But all things of God. Just in case we men should be conceited, and that is the fleshly nature of man, to be conceited. But just in case we should be conceited over our position that God has given to us over our position in God's economy. The apostle reminds us that both man and woman are necessary to complete one another. That is, the man without the woman is incomplete. And the woman without the man is incomplete. Man and woman are incomplete without one another. They are not designed to be <clears throat> independent of one another. Regardless of what the world says today. They are mutually dependent one upon the other. And all you have to do is go back to creation. All you have to do is go back to Genesis chapter 2, and you'll see that. These instructions are not based upon 
personal feelings. They're not based upon personal inferiority of the woman to the man or upon the proposition that the woman is of no value. We've tried to stress that all the way through. That's not what God says in his word. That's not what God has been saying. Paul has stated facts. Facts for the authority of men. That is for the men to be in authority. And these facts do not state that the woman is not important. Nor do they give leeway for her to be mistreated by the man. To be trampled upon as trash, as some lower, inferior being. Notice that last phrase. But all things of God. This is God's word. That's what he's stating here. This is God's order. It's not man's order. It's God's order. And it is his rule and order for public worship. The man is to assume the position of authority. And the woman is to be under that authority. And in the assembly, she is to sit in silence, learn in silence, while the man prays publicly, preaches publicly, teaches publicly, that's the will and mind of God. It's the order of God. Verse 13. Judge in yourselves. Is it comely that a woman pray not uncovered? In this statement here, we have an established principle. The teaching of the woman's artificial head covering, her putting it on when entering into the assembly, and men removing that covering when entering in 
to the assembly, was so established in the churches that Paul appeals to the power of reason, to the power of, of rationale. That's what he means by that statement. Judge in yourselves. Is it fit? He reasons that even they would have to agree that it was considered inappropriate for a woman to worship bareheaded without an artificial covering on her head or without a veil. A hat, a veil, something of the order. He calls them to wisely consider these instructions in light of the previous stated reasons. The reasons that we have through. Just backing up. Go back up to verse 7. Is that in light of the fact that the man ought not to cover his head for as much as he is the image and glory of God. And man entering into the assembly with his head covered, then he's in the effort trying to, to shield, to cover the image and glory of God. The man in the assembly standing and praying and preaching, teaching the word of God, teaching and preaching the glory of God. is not to have his head covered. But the woman is the glory of the man. <laughs> the man's glory. There's no place for the glory of man in the assembly. It is to be covered. It is to be abased. It is to be in Objection. What is to be exalted is God and His honor and His glory. In verse 8 For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. That's another reason stated. Man was created first. And the woman was created after, created for man and given to man. To be to complete man. Man wasn't created for the woman. He was created first. 
If he had been created for the woman, he'd been created after the woman. But he was. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Another point of why she ought to have her head covered. Why she ought to willingly put on top of her head a covering. Because there are angels in the assembly. They're looking on. They're seeing our submission. They're learning. They're being taught. And you, by example, are teaching them. These things being so. Is it fit? Is it proper? For a woman to publicly partake in worship without such a covering. You see, what we have in this verse, a question posed by the Apostle Paul, it is what we call a rhetorical question. That is, it really needs no answer because there is no other answer other than no. It's not fit, it's not proper. So it is a rhetorical question. Now coming down to verses 14 and 15. Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. Paul now embarks on a statement. A statement of fact. The fact of nature. We've touched on it, we've covered it times before. It is a fact of nature concerning what distinguishes in the human eye, what distinguishes men from women. without getting violent and inappropriate. It was an outward sign. Men, to have sore Women are to have long hair. That's the teaching of nature. And being the teaching of nature, it, it serves to support the whole 
basis of this, he, he goes back to, to the natural to support the basis for the spiritual teaching of her need for a covering, an artificial covering, and for man to remove the artificial covering from his head. When coming in to the services. Just as short hair distinguishes men from women in public, so the women coming church veiled, wore a hat on, and men uncovered, distinguishes the woman from the man whose head is uncovered and his role of leadership and her role of submission learning in silence learning from the word spoken of the man one other quote I'd like to read for you here you'll ever hear me quote men in a message, in message, this series of messages, is in this one. A.W. Pink. He says this concerning these two verses. Because the woman has not been given rule and headship, her head must be covered and covered with a, a double covering. First, the long hair that God has given her by nature, so that even when she is outside the church, that covering shall indicate that she she is not her own head, but that she is under the dominion of the head of the, her household. Secondly, that when she comes into the house of God, there must be the additional covering of the hat or veil because she is also in subjection to her spiritual brethren to whom God has appointed rule. I read you that quote by W. Pink because he probably stated it much better than I have and could. Notice 
also that the hair in verse 15 is said to be given to the woman by God. Her hair or my hair is given by God. This is a fact that is not true of the covering mentioned in verses 5 and 6 that we previously looked at, which can be taken on and off at will. This has been given by God, he said in verse 15. The Greek word for covering, verse 15, is different than the Greek word used in verses 5 and 6. The Greek word in verse 15 for covering is parabolion, uh, which means something cast around, which cannot be taken on and off at will, as distinguished from the word used in verses 6, which is catacalupti, and means cover up something that is put on and taken off at will. See, two different Greek words with two different meanings. Not only that, the Greek word for four in verse 15 anti translated for a covering this word anti means something that is like but not the actual Her hair is given like as to that covering. About verses 5 and 6. But is not that covering. Another illustration of this kind of, of language and talk is in the book of 1 Peter chapter 3 and verses 20 and 21 where Baptism is said to be a figure that is like the ark and water. It's not the ark and water, but it's like to the water and the ark. Hair is like the covering. In verses 4 6. But it is not 
the actual covering. Here is, shall we say, nature's corresponding covering. Furthermore, the scriptures teach that long and short hair is part of the head. Not separate from the head. Uh, read just a couple verses to show you that. Turn with me to the Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon, chapter 7. And verse head upon thee is like caramel and the hair of thine head your hair being attached to your head is part of your head like purple the king is held in the gallery so here, here hair is said to be part of the head in you don't have to turn there, but in the book of Judges in chapter 16 and verse 22, we know the story of Samson, and, and Samson was captured by the Philistines and it was made, made sport of because that his head was shaved and the glory of the Lord departed from him. And he asked the Lord to give him strength to destroy those Philistines. After that, his the hair upon his head began to grow again. That's what verse 22 of the 16th chapter of Judges says to us. Another instance is in the book of Daniel, chapter 3 and verse 27. We're told there that that. The Hebrew children, not a hair of their head were singed. Seems like mute points, does it? It's something we all understand. Hair is part of our head. I mean, we really didn't need to go into that. Eh? Well, I feel as though we do. Matthew chapter 10 and and Verse 30, Jesus said, The hairs of your head are all numbered. In the book of Luke, in chapter 21, verse 18, He said, the, the hair of your head shall not perish. Not one hair of your head shall perish. I ask you a question. Again. Why would the Holy Spirit of God the Spirit of God. The all-intelligent being. The, the all-wise and knowing God. Why would he lead the Apostle Paul 
to take up all this space in the Word of God to tell a woman to wear her hair to church when it is already attached to her head and part of her head and how can she go to church without wearing her hair? Just doesn't make sense, does it? It's already part of her head. And then in verses 4 and 6, he's going to tell her to put it on? Doesn't even make sense. He's going to tell the man to take it off? Well, let's go on to verse 16. Verse 16. And this is, verse 16, among commentators, and I suppose because it is so among commentators, it is so among preachers, church members, the religious world, it is one of the most controversial verses in all of Scripture. Verse 16. But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom. We have no such practice. Neither the churches of God. We the apostles have no practice. Neither do the churches of God have such a practice. Paul is saying that we have no such practice. What is the subject? What is the subject matter that we've been dealing with in these verses? The subject matter is men, remove the hat from your head. Women, put one on. if any man seem to be contentious I'm telling you Paul says we don't have such custom as women not wearing a covering in the services and wearing a covering in the services not only that We don't have the practice of being contentious over the Word of God. Men, 
coming to the house of the Lord should remove their hat. Women coming to the house of the Lord should put one on. It was customary for women to wear a veil, a hat, or a headdress in all the churches. Not in our day, because we have evolved. We think that we know more than God knows. And we don't have to do, do it. That's where we've come... But in Paul's day, it was a customary practice because it was ordered by God. It was so in all the churches, he said. <laughs> it, was, it was an apostolic teaching. It was against their practice as well as scripture to come to the place of prayer and preaching men with their head covered and women with their heads uncovered. This verse addresses anyone that refuses to conform to these apostolic precepts. It's rebellion. It's rebellion against God and against His Word. Paul is stating here that such resistance is without support and without support from the apostles and it's without support from the other churches. Because all the churches have no other practice than to for men to remove the covering from the head and women to put one on. The practice, which they practice. It is that which Paul started out with in commanding in verses 4 through 6. Men, remove the covering from your head. Women, put on. And to not do so is a shame to whoever doesn't abide by that precept. And what we have in verses 7 through 15 are just additional precepts, additional facts, additional arguments as to why we should obey what is commanded in verses 4, 5, and 6. If anyone continues to be contentious. The word contentious there means fond of causing strife. In light of all this evidence, 
for the head covering. They stand alone. They shouldn't be doing it. They're in rebellion to God. One last quote. And it's a quote of reason. Milburn said concerning verse 16, It is strange to me that verse 16 is used by some to overturn what Paul had said about a woman's covering. Now get this. It's strange to me that some use verse 16 to overturn what what Paul said about a woman's covering, but not to overturn any other thing that he said in this chapter. Isn't that strange? They do not use it to overturn what Paul said about the headship of man over the woman. In fact, they'll preach that hard. Or the woman having long hair and the man having short hair, they'll preach that hard. Why not? Why not use verse 16 to over, overturn these truths as well? If they follow their rule used against the head covering, they would also teach that women no longer ought to be in subjection to the men. That men should have long hair and women hair. And that men ought to wear their hats. It's okay, men. Wear your hats in church. It's okay, women. Come in uncovered. It's okay, women. You don't have to be in subjection to your husband no more. That's what he's saying. But they don't do that. They don't teach and preach that. But yet they'll teach and preach. The women don't have to wear the head covering. Closes those thoughts with Oh, consistency. Thou art a jewel of mine. You see, there's no consistency in the way they want to in interpret. Listen. Why did we as men 
think that we became so knowledgeable? Why do we think that we have to question everything that the Word of God says? Listen, I know English, and some of you all probably know English better than I do. We all read, and we understand what we read. Let's go back. Three. Let's cast out all the other thoughts. Let's cast out all the preconceived ideas. Let's read down through these verses and just let the Word of God say what the Word of God says. Verse 3. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is the man. And the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered, dishonoreth her head. For that is even all one, as if she were shaven. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for her, for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head, because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the Lord is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. Judge in yourselves. Is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Doth not even nature itself teach you that it that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him. But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her. For her hair is given her for a covering. But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. That's the Word of God. Pretty plain to me. And like I said, I never was an English scholar. And since studying the Word of God, I've learned more about the English structure and sentencing. But it's pretty plain to me. It ought to be plain to you.
if you throw away your rebellion and listen to the Word of God. Remember, to be in rebellion concerning this subject is to be in rebellion against God. It is His Word. He has preserved it so that we might have it, so that we might read it, so that we might be instructed, that we might be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. In other words, so that we might be pleasing unto Him. We might be well-pleasing unto Him. Shall we stand again?